All right, thanks. You guys can have a seat over here in the big house, and, and uh, you might already be sitting in the family room. Hello, everybody over there. Uh, my name is John, and I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeside, and we are in a series right now called uh, Transformed, and uh, Transformers was already taken. I was a little disappointed about that, but uh, Transformed, we are talking, the, the, the object of transformation in this series is you and I. Uh, because we're messed up, <laughs> because we're broken, because we're imperfect. Uh, but the hope is, uh, the great hope that we have is that Jesus is doing something new in us. He's always making beautiful things. He's always taking yucky, broken, dilapidated, gross, disgusting, repellent things, and he's turning them into beautiful things. And I'm very grateful for that. I look over the course of my life, and I'm thankful that I can look back 10 years, I can look back 20 years, I can look back 30 years, and I can see that, that he's doing new things in me. He's turning me into something different, all by his grace. It's amazing. I took a drive down to Fairfield the other day, and I got caught in traffic. And it's like, traffic is my kryptonite. It, it, it makes me, it steals all of my will to live, just everything. Like, I just cripple inside. And I was thinking, I handle traffic better today than I did 30 years ago. That is, that, that's good. Like nobody's being run off the road. I wasn't following anybody home to their driveway to cuss them out. I wasn't flipping the bird or even the dove, which is a different finger um, and, and less offensive apparently. Like I wasn't doing any of that stuff. I was, uh, it was different. And I'm, I'm thankful that God is changing me a, a little bit at a time. And that's what this whole thing is about. That's what this whole series is about. Uh, today, we are going to be talking specifically about sharing our faith. Now, I wish, in retrospect, that uh, I would have renamed this topic. Because I think when we say how to share our faith, we talk about sharing our faith. Uh, it, there's a couple of groups of people that already go, whoa, 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 Bubba, hold on a second. I don't know. There's, there's some weird baggage for me with, with sharing my faith. Uh, first of all, the first group is those of us who maybe have been Jesus followers for uh, some time. And when we hear the words, share my faith, we start feeling guilty. We start feeling like, I don't know if I've ever done this right. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know when's the last time I sat down across the table with somebody and I talked about Jesus and I went through all the things that I'm supposed to talk about. I don't know when's the last time I led somebody in prayer, you know, and, and they fell to their knees and they asked Jesus to come into their life. I don't know. It's, it's all weird. It feels strange for me and, and it just creates turmoil inside of me. And then there's another group of people maybe that are in the room that are not Jesus followers yet and that's okay. And by the way, I mean, I am so glad that you are here. We want this to be a safe place for you to come and feel like you have a place to belong before you believe, to ask any questions that you have. And maybe when we talk about sharing our faith, you're like, man, I just, there's people around me who have shared their faith with me in the past, and it has just gone so awry. It's gone so wrong. They've been angry. They've made me feel like an outsider. They've told me all the things that I'm doing wrong. Uh, it, it, it doesn't feel like anything that I would want to be part of. And so sharing our faith has some negative connotations with it. But... Uh, if we can just all kind of gather here together at, at the river today, and we can, we can say we're all on the same page. And when we talk about sharing our faith, we're talking about inviting people into a story, inviting people into something rich, inviting people into an experience with God Almighty that Jesus is beckoning us to be part of. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. However, however we talk about it, it's fabric to who we are as Jesus followers. We have a story to tell, and we want to invite people into the story. And so we want to talk about how to do that, 
today. And, and like I said, this series is called Transformed. Uh, did you uh, grow up watching 70s, bad 70s TV like I did? One of my favorite things was the $6 million man. Uh, for, I think I lost everybody under 40 years old right now, but, but hang with me. $6 million man, he was, he was bionic. He wasn't the bionic man. He was a $6 million man. There was a bionic woman. Her name was Jamie Summers. That was his girlfriend. That was a different bad show. Anyway, the beginning of this whole thing started with, you know, there was a, an astronaut going down in flames, and then you heard a voice say, Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. I watched it plenty of times. And I even had a Steve Austin doll that you could look through the back of his head and it had a bionic eye. It was, it was fabulous, little crosshairs. It was, it was, it was awesome. And anyway, uh, then the voice would come on and say, man, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. And in the second version of this intro of the show, because they changed it a couple of times, it said, we will spare no expense. And it ended up being $6 million to completely rebuild this man, which coincidentally was the exact amount that I had to pay my last trip to the emergency room two years ago when they sent me home with an anxiety pill, and that was it, $6 million. So times have changed, and uh, yeah, we will spare no expense. That's what Jesus is doing. He spared no expense to rebuild us, to remake us, to make us into something beautiful. We're going to look at a story uh, today in John chapter 1 of the first people who started following Jesus, some of the first people who started following Jesus. You can grab your Bible on the chair next to you if you want. We've got the page number up here for you. Also, please be aware there's a, a really cool app called Version Bible app. You can download that. There's a section for live events, and we always upload all of the scripture that we're going through here on the weekend and have any special notes for you in there. It's a really handy tool, uh, and we encourage you to download that. I, today, am not going to be reading from one of those paper Bibles or the Bible app. I am going to be reading from this handy-dandy 1970s-era Bible that is very special to me. Does anything look more 70s than this Bible that I'm holding right now? This is so crazy. It's called The Way. It's the Living Bible. It's a paraphrased translation. So it's a different translation than the one that you are reading, but, but you'll get the gist. We can, we can tag along together on this. But this thing is so special to me because it was given to me uh, by my spiritual mama. Her name is Charlotte, and it's the first Bible I owned. Uh, she gave it to me right as it turned 1980, and uh, it's full of beautiful pictures inside. I was looking with some of the guys earlier. At, you know, the picture before the Song of Solomon here is a photograph of two hippies looking longingly into one another's eyes, and she's holding a flower. It's so up my alley. It's just so, it's so beautiful. But it's special to me uh, because it's a big part of my story. And somebody invited me into a story. I think that most of us, if we're here today uh, and we call ourselves Jesus followers, we were invited somewhere along the line into a story. Uh, Very few of us probably were driving down the road and saw a sign like I saw when I was headed down south a few months ago that had a devil with a pitchfork and it said, you think it's hot here? I... Very few of us saw that sign and pulled over to the side of the road and said, hey, man, I'm following Jesus today. (laughs) If you're here, I'd like to meet you, though, because that would be a fantastic story if that actually happened. No, people invited us into something. And people were invited into the story with Jesus in John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. And it starts off in the story with John the Baptist hanging out with a couple of his disciples. And John the Baptist, um, if you've ever seen a a movie that depicts him or you've seen like a a Sunday school flannel graph or you've heard people talk about him, he's kind of this wild and crazy guy. And he's, you know, they they picture him with wild hair blowing in the breeze, you know, looking like, you know, Doc from Back to the Future.
preacher, the flux capacitor, Marty, and, you know, and the, and the beard, and he's got crazy things, gunk in his beard, and he wears a camel hair uh, jacket, which is true. The Bible says he wore camel hair. I, I like to picture it was more of kind of like a rock and roll Lenny Kravitz kind of a thing. And, um, and so he, he dresses strange, and you get this picture of John the Baptist, they say in the Bible that he eats locusts and honey, and so you get this crazed lunatic kind of uh, picture of John the Baptist, like the guy who's standing on the street corner with a sign saying, turn or burn, you know, through a, a megaphone. And John the Baptist is not this guy at all. Actually, back in that day, and still in many parts of the world, locusts and honey uh, are a delicacy. We're a delicacy. And so here's a different picture of John the Baptist that I'd like you to try emphasize. He's a guy who's a bit eccentric, yeah, but the Bible says he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And he's hanging out with friends, and they're out, in, they're out uh, building bonfires out in the woods together, and they're swapping stories, and they're, they're reading poetry by candlelight, and somebody's playing a guitar, and they're sitting around eating locusts and honey, which is a delicacy, so they're all foodies out there. They're foodies out in the wilderness, and they're drinking fine wine, and they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about a Messiah who is to come. He's, he's reminding them of all of the stories that they heard when they grew up about this coming Messiah. This John the Baptist is with two of these guys. He's hanging out, and Jesus walks by one day. Jesus walks by, and John looks at him and intently declares, See, there is the Lamb of God. That's the one I've been talking about. And it's really prophetic because he uses Lamb of God, and a lamb is a sacrificial animal, and Jesus came to be a sacrifice for us. Spare no expense. He will go to any length for you and I. And so he points them out, and it says immediately, John's two disciples turned and followed Jesus. That's not figurative. That doesn't mean they had a switch in their mind and they decided they were going to be Jesus followers that day. They literally started following him, and it was kind of creepy. Like, they were following him who knows for how long, and Jesus looks around and sees them following and says, "Uh, what do you want? (laughs) And sir, they replied, where do you live? which is also kind of creepy if you're ever followed by somebody and they say, where do you live? I don't know that I'm giving that answer. Uh, But come and see, he says. And so they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they were with him from about 4 o'clock that afternoon until the evening. They were hanging out with Jesus uh, around a campfire, you know, eating uh, food together, swapping stories, laughing. Who knows exactly what was happening there, but they spent a lot of time with them. And one of them was super excited about the conversation because his name was Andrew. He was Simon Peter's brother. And Andrew went to find his brother, Peter, uh, or Simon, as he is called before Jesus' name. So we're going to find this out in a a minute. Uh, We have found the Messiah, he says. And he brought Simon to meet Jesus. And then Jesus looked intently at him for a moment and said, You're Simon, John's son, but you shall be called Peter, the rock. Jesus changed people's names from time to time, and it was just such a fun thing that he did. And the name that he gave him, Peter, comes from the Greek word petros. It means rock or or small rock. And later on in the story, Peter is going to make a bold statement. When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He's going to say, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is going to look at him later on down the road, and he's going to say, that's right, Peter. And on that, on that foundation, I'm going to build my church. He had an encounter with Jesus. Now, at this point in the story, when Jesus nicknames him Peter, he doesn't know what's going on. He, he has no, no clue who Jesus is. 
And it gives me so much hope to figure it, to read these stories and to go, when people first meet Jesus, they all fall to their knees immediately and say, that's it. I got this whole thing figured out. Are you kidding? These numbskulls went for the rest of the, you know, few years that they spent time with Jesus and Jesus would tell them stories and say, you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? You get it? And they'd say, yeah, nope. <laughs> we have no clue what you're talking about. And then he would go back and he would, he would unpack things a little bit more for them. They didn't just get it overnight. Now, Philip uh, goes off to look for a, a guy. Or no, let me back up. Sorry. Uh, after Peter, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip, and he told him, come with me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip now went off to look for Nathaniel. See what's happening? They're just they're telling all their friends. Something incredible is happening. We found the Messiah, the very person Moses and the prophets told about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel, this is great. He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? So it was a, just a podunk town. Like it was really, seriously, good things are going to come out of there? Well, come and see for yourself, Philip declared. Well, okay, I guess I will. I added that part. And as they approached, Jesus said, here comes an honest man, a true son of Israel. And Nathanael says, how do you know what I'm like? And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. What's going on here? Jesus uh, didn't just show up and Jedi mind trick all these guys to start following him. He didn't just show up like sometimes we see in the movies where Jesus, like the blue-eyed, blonde hair, fair-skinned Jesus in the middle of east of all places with an English accent of all things uh, goes up to people and, and, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Come follow me. He does, he's not saying to guys, yay, verily, follow me. And they're going, we, we don't know who this guy is, but yes, Lord. And, you know, tractor beam, they start following Jesus. No, he's been walking around for years. He's been, he's been observing. He's been seeing what they're doing. He sees this guy sitting under a fig tree. Who knows? The guy was probably there every day reading scripture or praying, and Jesus is learning things about him, and he's inviting people into this conversation. They're hanging out at his house. They're having other conversations. They're going to tell their friends, and they're excited, and they're caught up in this, and they don't know what's going on at this point. And their transformation did not happen overnight. No way. For some of us, Maybe you're in the room and, and you started following Jesus because, man, one day, like, the lights went on. Something, like, you'd never heard of Jesus before, and then somebody shared, and boom, it was just like that. And for some of us in the room, we found ourselves just years down the road. Somebody says, are you a Jesus follower? And you say, yeah. Well, tell me your story. <laughs> How much time do you have? Well, I mean, tell me the day that you started trusting Jesus. I don't even know. It's been so long. All I know is that I was here and now I'm over here. And there's a hundred stories in between, I could tell you. And that's kind of how it happens in Scripture. Sometimes the lights go on, and sometimes it's a long process. And even when the lights go on, let me tell you, it is just a lifetime of change after change and surrender after surrender. That's the way it goes. Man, I... One of my favorite stories of transformation, one of my favorite stories of somebody uh, coming to faith in Jesus 
um, was back at the church that I was at in Jackson, Michigan. There was a couple who sat right about here. I'm going to look here. Sorry, I'm not staring at you, but they're visually, it's just helping me out here. So they're sitting right about here, and, um, and they're an older couple, and, and I have to be super careful when I say this because the older I get, older feels younger. So, um, but let's just say they looked 700, like they were... <laughs> They, they showed, I mean, the lines in their face and, 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 and the, their eyes, you could tell they had a tough story. And this couple shared with me one day that they started following Jesus when they were well into their 70s. And they told me story after story about how they pray at this point in their life for their kids because their family is just a mess. And I fell in love with these people. And I'll never forget the day I get a call from the daughter because mom passed away. And she asked me to do the memorial service. And I said, you know, if your mama could walk back into this room uh, at, at this memorial service today and she could say one thing to your family, what would she say? She said, without a doubt. My mom would look around and she would say, get over your bad selves and forgive one another. She said, because my family hates one another. Kids don't talk to one another. Uh, uh, uncles are, are, you know, not talking to one another. Everybody's disenfranchised. Nobody's connected. And my mom and my dad found forgiveness. And she would want to share that with my family. I said, well, your mom is going to walk back into the room at that funeral and say those words because we're, we're going to tell this story as if she were standing right there. And I went to this Eagles Hall in Michigan Center <laughs> where this funeral was. And on the, I stood between two rooms. There wasn't enough room to fit everybody in one room. And I'm standing in this doorway. And over here is a bar full of people that are 75% on the way to being 250% inebriated by the end of the funeral. And, and I, I'm trying to figure out how to engage with this group. And over here, I'm trying to figure out how to engage with this group who is hovering around the buffet table that is full of casseroles made with Funyuns and, and mashed potatoes and, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. And there's smoke filling the room because apparently you can smoke at funerals in Michigan. And, um, and it was just an interesting thing. And I'm standing in this doorway talking to these two people, and I start to tell the story. It wasn't verbose. It, it was maybe 10 minutes long, top to bottom, but it was all about this lady who found forgiveness and wanted to tell everybody in that room to forgive one another. And then over the next few weeks and months, we would see people start filing into Westwind's church from that funeral, saying, I want to know more about this. And over the next few weeks and months, people were saying, I want to be a Jesus follower. And people were getting baptized. And then dad passed away. And I did his funeral and went back to the same Eagles Hall with the same group of people and told his story in a different way and their story together. And then more people would come. And the last time I counted, I believe there were eight families that started coming to our church and many people who started following Jesus because of that. Not because I sat down with them with a flip chart and, and, and gave them a sales presentation about Jesus. Not because I struck fear into their hearts. Not because I, I told them that they were condemned to hell and, and drew pictures for them or a, a, anything like that, which, by the way, when I was a kid, I mean, those were some of the, the methods that people would use to share their faith. Well, of course, that was scary. Of course, I remember as a kid sitting in my bed with a, with a thing, it was called a tract, and, and it was a little pamphlet, it was a little book, and inside of it there were pictures of devils and demons, and they were talking about getting people to watch TV shows like Bewitched and getting them condemned to hell. I, I kid you not about this, and there's pictures of people burning, and I'm, I'm, I'm so scared. 
At seven, eight years old reading this stuff, oh my goodness. And I look in the Bible and I see Jesus is not telling these stories like this. It's, it's, he's, he's motivated by love because, because he knows that there's incredible amounts of pain in life that people are dealing with. You look at somebody next to you right now, they have an incredible amount of pain. It's part of being human. And Jesus wants to meet that pain and he wants to, he wants to love us through it. Look, there's no clear, concise way to share our faith. There is no prescription in the Bible on how to share our faith. We've tried things over the years, and I think a lot of times it's motivated by love. I think a lot of times it's motivated by well-meaning people. But man, we have got it wrong in so many different ways, in so many different ways. And if you've been the recipient of any of those so many different ways that we've got it wrong, if you've felt pain or you've felt the finger pointed in your face from a Jesus follower or you've felt condemned or you felt like an outsider, I am so sorry. So things, people try things to make it concise. They, they want to be able to say, at the end of this conversation, I've shared the gospel. But we see it's, it's super simple because it's all rooted in the person of Jesus. It's super simple. Who do you say Jesus is? It's super simple. It's the question that he asked Peter, who do you say I am? You're, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Like you, you, you get that and then you can ask questions for the rest of your life. Like, that's the one that matters. But we complicate it. We mess things up. We try things like when I was walking through the mall and I saw a $20 bill on the ground uh, as a kid. And I, I picked it up and I it was fantastic. I found a 20. And then I opened it up and it had a Bible verse that said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And told me how I needed to turn and follow Jesus. And I thought, I've been duped. <laughs> Why did you do this to me? I'm like, why don't you throw a real 20 on the ground and then stand there and when you see a kid pick it up, say, hey man, 20 bucks. Is it okay if I buy $20 worth of your time and tell you about Jesus? I might think you're creepy and weird, but I'm probably gonna listen to you because it's 20 bucks. But don't do the bait and switch on me. And don't give me the, the, the tract of the, of the people, the pictures of people burning in hell. And don't be the ladies at church who used to pray out loud for me uh, and, and tell me all the things that I was doing wrong in, in their prayers to other ladies. <laughs> oh, we pray for John, you know, his poor broken soul. And then the list of things I was doing wrong, I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> so, the Apostle Paul in Acts 17 walks into a group of people who are in this place called the Areopagus. It's, it's called Mars Hill uh, by others. It's this place in Athens, and all of, the, uh, all of the smart people got together to talk about philosophy. And Paul's invited into this thing. And around the city, the Bible tells us, are all of these statues that are uh, they're erected to, to gods uh, that have different names. It's like the god of uh, the land and the sea and the air. And they're, they're trying to cover all their bases. They've got a God for everything. And then there's a statue that says it's labeled to the unknown God. And so Paul walks into this place and he says, look it, I see that you guys are very religious people. You, you want to do things right. You're trying to cover all the bases. And then you, and you've got this statue to this unknown God. Do you mind if I, uh, you mind if I tell you a story? And he goes on to tell them a story about who he thinks the unknown God is. 
It's Yahweh God who, who sent his son Jesus to stand in the gap, it, who, went to, who spared no expense to begin this, this process of transformation in us. And he tells the story of Jesus rising from the dead, and it says at the end of the story that some of them snickered and laughed and said, oh, somebody rising from the dead, that's just crazy talk. And some of them said, I want to I know more about that. Well, I'll guarantee you at the end of that, it, nobody felt guilty, condemned, abused. Nobody was shamed in the process. He started by saying, you're, you're a great group of people, and I've got a story. Well, what if Paul would have gone in there and said, listen, you schmucks, all of these statues, are you serious? What is this country coming to? Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. You're so dense. I can't believe you don't know who the unknown God is. I'll tell you who the unknown God is. Wah! Like how many people at the end of that conversation are going to say, yeah, you know, Paul's right. I'm an idiot. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for that loving explanation. Oh, we've tried over the years to make it concise. We've tried to make it clear. We've tried to cover all of our bases, and, and sometimes we've gone so wrong, and then we, we come up with these stories in the Bible that, that they, they mess with our minds because the gospel is so simple in this story, and we go, really, can it be that simple? Like the thief on the cross. There's a story of a thief that's dying on either side of Jesus, one over here, one over here. Jesus is in the middle. They're being crucified, and one thief starts mocking Jesus, he starts mocking him and saying, hey, if, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Son of God, why don't you come down off of the cross? And then, hey, give your brother a hand. <laughs> Take me down too. And the other thief looks over and says, what, what are you doing? We deserve to die. This guy in the middle, he did nothing wrong. He did absolutely nothing wrong. And then he looks at Jesus and he says, today, when you, when you go into your kingdom, would you, would you remember me? And Jesus says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And for some of us who have walked this Jesus road for a long time, we go, but wait, wait, wait. I mean, he wasn't baptized. He, did, he didn't pray the prayer. He, he didn't go to the class. He didn't do the things that he needed to do. Is it really that simple that you just have to grapple with who this person, Jesus, is, and then you surrender to him? Yep. It's that simple. Now, go to the classes. Get baptized. Jesus said to do that. All of those things count. Go to the begin, belong, become classes that we offer here. Go to the discipleship classes. They're all part of, of our growth process. They're all great, but they're not the thing that makes us. They're not the thing that, that starts the transformation. Jesus is the one who starts the transformation. We get that figured out. And beautiful things start to happen. So I um, went to a friend's house. When we moved back into town, went to a friend's house. And uh, it was, it's great to reconnect with people who I haven't seen in so many years. And we have a mutual friend. Uh, this, this friend's house I went to, we have a mutual friend. Her name is Cheryl. And I hadn't seen Cheryl in over 10 years. And my friend said, hey, Cheryl, drop by the house today. She knew you were going to be here tonight and left a present for you. I love presents. And I opened it up, and, and um, inside there was uh, a picture frame with uh, a napkin. 
And at this point, you're thinking, I got super ripped off in the gift department. But it's not a napkin. It's a story. Because over a decade ago, I sat in my living room at a kitchen table, actually, with my wife and Cheryl. And Cheryl was crying, and she was telling us stories about her life and the pain that she was going through. And she said that she really wanted to follow Jesus. But she just had so many questions. She didn't know where to start. She starts, and they were good questions. What about the dinosaurs? And, and was it a literal six days of creation? Or is it possible that one day could have represented an age of time? And, and could God use the process of evolution and creation? They're fantastic questions. But, but we said that night, as we're, as we're crying with her, we said, Cheryl, like, these are all good questions, but you have so many of them that if we were to start writing these questions down, they would feel like the, the floor and the walls and the ceiling and the, the table. But everything you need to know, we can write on a napkin. And we pulled out a napkin and said, honestly, it's like, what are you going to do about Jesus? That's the question. What about Jesus? The other things, over time, you'll figure those out. And she had this note attached to this. It said, you forever changed my life with the napkin. And whenever I begin to question my faith or life, I always go back to that one night with our group, and I think of you and your family often. We were just kids who, like, we didn't know what we were saying. I didn't, I didn't take her through a flip chart presentation. I, I don't know that I said the right words. I, d- I don't know if I knew. I, I was probably crying and snotting all over myself, you know. I had... I don't know, but if, if we start to think about sharing our faith as not presentation, but invitation, everything changes. See, God is already at work in people's hearts. We don't need to know the magic incantation to summon that. He's already at work. Our job is to pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on around us. There's a bunch of things that, like paying attention, it it takes some work. It takes some work. For instance, we need to learn new languages. We need to learn new ways of talking with one another. We need to know that the world around us is changing and people speak differently. And we need to learn that and not vilify that. Here's an example. Facebook. We can look at Facebook and we can say, I'm not going to waste my time with that. I'm not going to watch videos of kittens all day long. I'm not going to listen to people talk about candidates that are making our country go, go down the toilet. We can say that, or we can say, hey, guess what? All of my friends are on Facebook, and I'm going to be part of that, and I'm going to converse, and I am going to dialogue with them, and I'm going to invite them in the conversation, and I'm going to be a voice of hope in that scenario. We could do that. That's one of the things that we can do in paying attention. We can, we can look at texting and we can say, oh, these kids today, all they do is text. Nobody has conversations face-to-face anymore. I'm not going to text. We could do that or we could learn how to text so we could talk to our kids because that's what they're doing. Even if you have to text with your daughter who's sitting in the very next room, which I have done. Like, 
We learn new languages. We don't vilify everything around us. We pay attention and we learn how to engage with people. That's hard work. There's a story uh, in Ephesians about putting on the armor of God. When I was a kid, we used to sing all of these songs (laughs) in church that were so militant sounding um, and uh, about being about marching in the infantry and riding in the cavalry and shooting the artillery and 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 you know and wearing the breastplate and going forth and wielding our sword and 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 there's some great word pictures in scripture about this but I think we got it all wrong because for a, a, a long period of time it, it felt this way to me anyway like people thought putting on the full armor meant put up your dukes you know let's go this is a battle. Let's work this out, man. You and me. Let's take it outside. That's not what's happening. When you see somebody in uniform and you thank them for their service, what are you thanking them for? You're, you're thanking them for sacrifice? You're thanking them for protection? We're honoring those this weekend that have given their lives for, for our protection. What if everybody around us who does not at this point know Jesus, what if they looked at you and I as Jesus followers and they said, that person over there, that's my, that's my protector. That's my defender. That's, that's somebody who loves me. That's somebody who sacrifices for me. Everything would change. Lord, thanks for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminders. Thank you for transformation, for people like me, for people like us. We love you. Amen.